This is Putting Numbers to Work from MetLife, where complex data from the benefits landscape is distilled into lessons employers can immediately put into action. Now here's your host, Marcus Smallwood. Welcome to MetLife's podcast, Putting Numbers to Work, where experts take complex ideas from across the benefit research landscape and distill them into lessons employers can put into action. Hi, everybody. I'm Marcus Smallwood, Regional Vice President at MetLife. Now, HR professionals are inundated with news stories and emerging trends that help predict radical shifts in employee expectations and how organizations need to change to stay competitive. It's hard to know who to trust, what's hype, and what's real, and what's going to have a lasting impact. This show will give you the data, confidence, and practical advice you need to help stay competitive and build a stronger, more productive, and holistically healthy workforce. Today, I am pleased to be joined by four-time best-selling author, keynote speaker, professionally trained futurist, and the founder of the Future of Work University, Jacob Morgan. Jacob joins us today to go beyond the war for talent and reveal the secrets to building and benefits of an adaptive and dynamic workplace environment. Welcome, Jacob. Thanks for having me. No, no pressure with that kind of a, a lead up into me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Jacob, I mean, look, you're a four-time best-selling author, keynote speaker, professionally trained futurist, and the founder of the Future of Work University. And I'm sure that you wear many, many other hats. But taking the responsibility as a team leader yourself, how have you had to adapt to the new set of challenges presented by the pandemic over the last couple of years in your, in your day-to-day work? Well, I'd say for me, probably the biggest change has been uh, moving from giving in-person speeches to moving to virtual. I have a virtual team that I've been working with for years, probably 10, 15 years now. And there's 12 of us uh, all, all, over the, all over the world. And so that hasn't been new for me at all. But what has been new is moving from giving 40, 50 keynotes a year, different stages, traveling across the country internationally, uh, I think I was flying like 200,000, maybe a little bit more miles every year. And that went down to virtually zero when the pandemic happened. So the biggest change for me has been to pivot towards moving towards that virtual world, which has had pros and cons, right? I mean, I've certainly enjoyed uh, being able to give talks at home in, in sweatpants. And I have a two-year-old. So over the past few years, I got to see him grow up and, and hang out with him but at the same time, I do think uh, giving a speech virtually is not quite the same as doing it in person. So pros and cons, but overall, I think uh, my team and I, we've, we've been able to adapt pretty well. That's, that's good. I know we've experienced some of the same things. It's, you've had to uh, be on camera quite a bit uh, and try to you know, read people's expressions through a camera. But as we've come back and you know, started to reconnect with people, you really appreciate what we've missed over the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. You spent countless hours interviewing and speaking with executives and thought leaders across the country. So what were some of the biggest takeaways and what are some of the things that you've learned from those discussions? Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I have been having a lot of conversations with people across a variety of themes. I mean, broadly speaking, as far as what I've learned is that there's a lot of change happening and leaders understanding and are accepting of that change and are realizing that they need to change the way they lead, that they can't do things now and in the future, the same way that they've been doing it over the past 5, 10, 15, 20 years. We need to think differently about mindsets and skill sets. We need to think differently about what it means to be an employee, what it means to be a leader, and, and what work even means. 
So I'd say the biggest learning for me is that we're finally at that point where we're being forced to rethink everything we know about work. And it's something we've talked about for many years, but I feel like a lot of companies would just say, yeah, 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 you know, we're thinking about it. We'll get to it one day, blah, blah, blah. Then the pandemic happened and all of a sudden it became the new imperative for organizations around the world. It's just really reevaluating everything we know about work. And quite honestly, I think that's been a good thing. Yeah, I would agree. And look, change isn't, isn't easy, right? But it, it does require us to train a new muscle and, uh, and it gives us grit and resilience. And, uh, and I always looked at, you know, change and adapting as the only way to move forward. Now, Jacob, I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that in your many discussions with employers, the topic of talent acquisition, retention strategies, and the great resignation has come up. And first off, you know, is that even a good uh, name for what we're calling it, the great resignation? I mean, we've seen people saying it's more like the great reshuffle and others have said it's the great regret. But I believe that you're looking at this through a whole different lens. And I'm going to quote you here. You've said employers should be inspired by increased employee empowerment and rising expectations to innovate their talent acquisition and retention strategies and tactics. So Jacob, please share a little bit more about what, what you mean here. And if you think that this war for talent environment that employers are dealing with right now is, is here to stay. You're right. I mean, there have been so many different ways we've talked about uh, great reshuffling, great regret, <laughs> great resignation. I feel like it all has to start with an R. But the way that I like to think about it actually starts with an O, which is the great opportunity. I think this is the great opportunity for organizations that are willing to rethink their workplace practices. And what we've seen specifically in this area is the importance of putting employee experience first. And employee experience is a combination of three environments that organizations can design and create for, which are culture, technology, and physical space. So if you're an organization out there, you have tremendous opportunity to now put people first. You have tremendous opportunity to now create a place where people actually want, not where they need to show up. Now, it's a great opportunity for companies that are willing to change. It's not a great opportunity for companies that just kind of want to sit back and say, oh my God, it's so hard to find people. We're not going to make changes to our core workplace practices. We're just going to complain about how hard things are. It, that's not an opportunity for you. That really will be the great resignation and the great regret for you. But thankfully, we've seen a lot of organizations out there really revisit their workplace practices, think differently about culture and leadership, and really put this focus on employee experience being front and center. And for those companies, I think there's a tremendous opportunity out there because it's easy to treat your employees well when the company is doing well. And really, the, I think the measure of a great organization and the measure of a great leader is how you treat your employees, how you treat your people when times are tough. And now when times are tough, if you are still willing to focus on the employee experience, if you're still willing to put people first... I think that you're going to find a lot of long-term impact around what this is going to do for your culture and for your organization as a whole. So, you know, great resignation, great regret. I really think it's the great opportunity for the forward-thinking companies. According to our latest data from MetLife's 20th Annual Benefit Trends Study, over the past 20 years, and, and even so more recently in the past two years, employee loyalty has steadily declined. That's what we're, we're seeing. So from compensation to benefits, flexibility, uh, growth opportunities, and training, what are some of the key things employers can, can do to keep their employees happy, healthy, productive, and loyal? Well, I think the big question that employers need to be thinking about is, why did employee loyalty go down? And, and in fact, maybe flipped another way is, why shouldn't it have gone down? 
In other words, what are companies really doing to keep employee loyalty up? Not much, <laughs> to be honest. So should we really be surprised that employees are not being as loyal to our organizations? I mean, what did we do? What did organizations do to earn that loyalty from their people? And I think if you frame it from that context, a lot of organizations and a lot of leaders will take a step back and say, honestly, not much. I mean, we give people a paycheck, but you know, we still don't create a culture where they want to show up to work each day. We still don't treat them well. We still don't pay attention to the things that they care about and the things that they value. And so, yeah, if another company comes along and offers them more money, they're going to jump ship. Why shouldn't they? Wouldn't you as the leader jump ship? You probably would too. So I think companies need to take a step back and really flip that question on its head and say, well, what, what did we do to actually earn employee loyalty? How are we getting employees to really want to work here and not need to work here? And again, this always comes back to the theme of employee experience. I think for organizations out there that want to create that kind of an environment, it comes down to three things, the culture, the technology, and the space. The culture is how employees feel working for you. The technology is about the tools and resources employees have access to to do their job. And the space is exactly what it sounds like. It's the spaces in which employees work, whether that's a home office, a headquarters, or some sort of a coffee shop, right? Whatever it is. But if companies can just think about the employee experience in terms of those three environments and start to create experiences for those three environments, I think they're going to be in much better shape than they are now. Yeah, I, I like that. Do you think that there's a correlation between an employee's expectation and the decline loyalty within the business? Oh, you know, that's a good question. I, I've talked to quite a few friends of mine who are executives at companies, and they're saying that they're offering people these ridiculous salaries and they're being turned down because some other bigger companies coming along offering a salary that's almost twice as much. And so you, you kind of have this very interesting situation where some people are being paid just insanely ridiculous salaries, right? And we're not even talking about at the CEO level. So yeah, I mean, employee expectations have changed. They have increased. But I also think that they should be increasing and they should be changing. And it's not always around money. It's, it's not just about compensation. Employees want to work for a company that cares about their health and their well-being. They want to work for an organization that cares about sustainability, that focuses on uh, improving the environment or the communities in which it serves. Uh, they want to work for an organization where there's learning and growth and development opportunities, where they're going to be coached and mentored, where they're going to make an impact. From that perspective, yeah, those expectations have changed. And you know what? They should. I think we all deserve to work for an organization where we get those types of things. And now, I, I don't think it's, again, purely just about compensation. I think we need to take a step back and explore some of those other elements, right? The purpose and meaning we keep hearing about as well. So yeah, expectations have increased as far as what the organization is going to offer, not just in terms of compensation, but as far as these other elements. And you know what? I would argue that they should have. And so it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. It is a good thing. I like the way that you're thinking about that because there is a tremendous opportunity for, for employers and for employees for that matter as well. Now, look, there's been a lot of talk about and concerns of a possible recession, right? How do you think a possible recession is impacting this trend? And, and for example, do you think predictions of a recession may impact employees' decision to stay with their current employer? So it's hard to say. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world, but I think obviously during a recession, people want to not make any dramatic changes. I would assume that if a recession is looming, that people would want to stay with their current roles, their current positions, and probably not rock the boat too much. But unfortunately, the challenge for a lot of people and what we've come to realize is that 
in a lot of companies, the first thing that an organization does oftentimes when things are not going well is they cut people. It's a very tough spot to be in because on the one hand, you as an employee want to show loyalty to the organization. You want to make an impact. You want to commit. But on the flip side, you also have to acknowledge that the second that the company is not meeting its numbers, the first thing it's going to do is say, who can we cut? And that poses a very interesting problem because organizations want that loyalty. They want their employees to bring their best selves to work. But on the flip side, they're saying, hey, yeah, we expect all of this from you. But by the way, if things aren't going well, your head's going to be on the chopping block. So it's kind of like, what are you supposed to do there? <laughs> what's, what's your option? And I think that poses a very interesting and tough challenge for a lot of companies. And this goes back to the theme of employee experience. And you know, thankfully, we've seen a lot of companies during the pandemic commit to not letting go of employees, to commit to trying to pay salaries as best as they could. And uh, you know, we've seen some companies really stepping up and, and trying to figure out ways to, to make that work. But my hope is that organizations out there will not be so quick to let go of their employees and uh, they, they will view their employees as human beings and not just as workers. Yeah, and that, that's my hope too, Jacob. And, you know, and going back to what you said, this is, a, this is an opportunity, right? And to, to put employees first and, you know, and to show that loyalty can go both ways. Jacob, you, you talked a lot about the employee experience, right? So I want to dive into that a little bit. MetLife Research has identified five key pillars to help unify the employee experience. Uh, to support the diverse needs of today's workforce. These five key pillars include purpose, culture, training, flexibility, and then wellness benefits. And our data shows that the purposeful work is a top driver for employee mental, social, and physical health. Now, I think most people would agree that purposeful, meaningful work is an important part of any job. But do you think it's enough for today's employees? Well, I think it's one of the things that are essential for employees. But to say that if you have purpose, that takes care of everything for you, I think would probably not be accurate. I think there's also a little bit of miscommunication for a lot of organizations around there, around the difference between purpose and meaning. So in my book, The Employee Experience Advantage, I came up with this framework that basically looks at job impact, purpose, and meaning. And so the job is basically what's written on your job description. Everybody knows their job. If you're in customer service, you got hired because your job says you pick up the phone, you answer the phones, you respond to emails. That's your job. The next thing that a lot of people need to figure out is what's the impact of my job? Well, if you're in customer service, why are you picking up the phones? Why are you answering emails? Well, the impact that I'm trying to have is that I want to make customers' lives easier and better. I want them to come back and transact with the company. I want them to buy more from us. I want them to tell their friends. So that is the impact. Purpose is why did you get hired for that job? right? What is it that you're trying to do? And your purpose, the way that the, the impact and purpose works together is you always want your impact to be greater than or equal to your purpose, never less than. So what I mean by that is if your purpose is to, again, using the customer service example, if your purpose as a customer service agent is to make the lives of your customers easier and better, is that the impact that you're actually having? Is that what you're actually doing? Or are your customers leaving more frustrated? Are they leaving disengaged? Are they leaving unhappy? Are they leaving more upset? So that's what I mean when I say it's, and actually I made a mistake when I phrased it, it's actually job purpose impact. So your job, your purpose is uh, taking it one level deeper. So again, if you're in customer service, I want to make lives of customers easier and better. Impact is, is that what you're actually doing? Is that the impact that you're actually having on your customers? 
And then last is meaning and that this, what do you personally get out of it? What are you subjectively getting out of doing that? Well, if I'm a customer experience leader, my meaning might be, I like uh, building relationships with people. I like solving problems. I like uh, making lives of other people out there better. I like helping others, right? That's what I subjectively get out of it. So I think every employee needs to understand those things about the role that they're in. They need to understand their job. They need to understand the purpose of their job. Why did they get actually hired for that? They need to understand the impact that they're having. And ideally, they need to understand why are they in that role to begin with? What is the meaning that they're personally getting from it? The meaning piece is very subjective, but the job purpose impact piece is something that the organization can help with in terms of sharing stories. So letting employees know in customer service or in sales or in marketing, tell stories about the impact that they're having on customers' lives. Let them meet customers. Let them talk to customers. Oftentimes, what I find is that when we work on a certain aspect of the business, you don't have that visibility into what the end product is. You don't have that visibility into the impact that you are having. And so by sharing stories, by giving that level of transparency, you help create that inside of an organization. So I think those are all very, very important pieces there. But going back to your original question, is that uh, in and of itself enough for employees? It depends. For some employees, yeah. For some employees out there might say, look, that's what I care about most. Other employees out there may want more than that. I think part of a leader's job is to understand what their employees care about, what they value, what they want, and then to design experiences around that. It's not going to be the same thing for everybody. That's good. Now, I mean, thinking about advice for employers, right, and the employee experience, have you run into some companies that are changing the employee experience and doing it well? And I guess another part of that question is, you know, what work still needs to be done? Oh, my goodness. Uh, a lot of work still needs to be done. But yeah, there are some great companies out there. When I wrote my book on employee experience, I looked at 252 companies out there. And there are some companies that are doing a great job. At the time when I was doing the research, I thought companies like Adobe, Cisco, Accenture were doing a great job. Microsoft is up there doing a great job, especially after uh, Satya took over and, and dramatically changed the corporate culture. And these are organizations that have really taken a step back to revisit these three environments of culture, technology, and, and space. And I've really thought about what it means to be an employee at these organizations. But as far as is there work still left to be done? Yeah. I mean, you can tell because if you look at the engagement numbers at companies around the world, they're still low. Most employees are not satisfied and most employees are not happy. Most employees don't have a good relationship with their leader. So there's still a, a ton of work uh, out there to be done. But my hope is that the pandemic that we're now getting through is really putting the spotlight on why this is such a crucial thing to do. And I hope that we will see more organizations out there where we all just want to show up to work each day. Exactly. Go back to the great opportunity, right, my man? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So another big focus and area for employers is diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? We're seeing many employers putting a lot of energy into this, and rightfully so. We know that employee and diversity in the workforce offers many benefits to a company. And part of the strategy to attract people from a diverse background is to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. What are some of the recognizable changes that you've observed with companies making to both their policies and culture to foster a more welcoming and inclusive environment? We're seeing a lot in terms of, for example, employee resource groups that have been developed out there. We've been seeing a lot in terms of conversations and candid discussions that CEOs are having with their employees about diversity and inclusion. I think we're seeing more in terms of leaders encouraging their employees to speak up and say, hey, if you're part of a team where you don't see any diversity, inclusion, or belonging, speak up and let us know. 
But there's still a lot of work to be done because I can't tell you how many times I've spoken at conferences and it's a room full of executive leaders and everybody is like an older white guy in a suit. And one of the themes that comes up is like diversity and inclusion is so important. This happens a lot. The smart companies out there are realizing that this is an imperative. They're making it a priority. They're including more diversity in terms of their executive board, which is, I think, one of the places where it has to start is your executives and your leaders. If you have a diverse mix of executives and of leaders, then that's going to make it much easier for you to have diversity and inclusion and belonging amongst the entire organization as a whole. So it really does need to start with the leadership inside of organizations out there. And I think if companies can do that, they'll see a lot of impact. So, I mean, in, in speaking about, about leaders, you know, what are some of the best ways that they can ensure that they're, they're meeting the needs of all of their employees? I mean, because everyone's needs are different. And um, how, how any advice for, for, for them? Simplest piece of advice is talk to your people. Talk to your people, right? I mean, we're so obsessed, I think, with doing surveys and um, putting some sort of a barrier between us and our employees. Like, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk to you about it, but I'm going to ask you to fill out this form. But instead, what I should be doing is saying, hey, do you have a couple of minutes? I'd love to grab coffee with you and just talk about, you know, do you feel that sense of belonging here? Do you feel that our company is diverse enough? So the best thing that leaders out there can do and uh, leaders of companies and leaders of teams is to talk to their people and say, how do you feel here? Do you feel like you belong on this team? And to look at where you have the potential to create employee resource groups, to look at where you have the potential to create more belonging and more inclusion across the board. But it's, you can't do that unless you talk to your people. I mean, you, you can't just like walk around and look at your company. You can't just look at feedback on a survey form. You actually have to go out there and talk to your people and, and get that feedback from them. And that'll honestly tell you everything that you need to do. I mean, there's no guesswork. I, I love that advice. And I'll, I'll tell you, so at MetLife, we see diversity, equity, inclusion as a cornerstone to enable su success within uh, each element of the employee experience. Let's shift gears and talk about employee well-being. All people have stressors in their lives, my, myself included. And, and I don't want to turn this into a, a personal therapy session, right? Unless that's one of the many hats that you, you wear, Jacob, as a therapist. Hey, kid, I'll send you my hourly rate. Okay, perfect. But what role do you think employers should be playing when it comes to addressing each element of well-being? So thinking about physical, mental, social, financial, both in and out of the workplace, uh, to create opportunities for the employees to thrive. This has been a huge topic of conversation. Uh, you know, one of the things that I talked about uh, for many, many years is that a, a company isn't just a company anymore. A company is now your financial advisor. A company is your friend. A company is your therapist. A company is your gym. A company is your cafeteria. I mean, organizations are not what they used to be anymore. An organization used to be back in the day, a place where you show up to work each day, you do a job and you get a paycheck. And that was it. That was the whole purpose of a company. And if you look at how things are changing now with companies offering financial advice and support, meditation classes, therapy, if you want to talk to somebody, if you need gym to, to exercise, if you need advice on healthy meals, if parenting advice, I mean, some companies out there are offering parenting advice in this kind of environment. So I think the role and the purpose of an organization has completely changed. I think the front and center to this is the mental health piece. Because it's very, very hard for a lot of employees to get access to any kind of mental health. And part of it, I think, is because leaders don't accept responsibility that they are basically the first responders for mental health inside your company. In other words, one of the things that I don't like is that, you know, a leader will just say, 
hey, go, go talk to so-and-so, you know, mental health, you know, book an appointment out one or two weeks and, you know, leave me out of this. But the reality is that leaders need to be the first responders on, you know, mental health. How are you doing? What's going on? What's bothering you? Do, do, do you seem stressed? Do you see, like, is everything okay at home? Leaders need to be much more comfortable treating their employees like human beings and getting a sense of if employees are going through a tough time and having a conversation about that and treating their employees like a human being instead of just saying, oh, yeah, that sounds tough. You should go talk to so-and-so in HR. That doesn't work anymore, especially when it takes so long to even schedule any kind of uh, you know, mental health discussions. So I think leaders need to step up. I think organizations need to do a better job of training their leaders to be able to have conversations on mental health with their employees. And I think leaders need to do a better job of identifying and spotting when that is an important conversation to have. I mean, if you see your employees are overly stressed, if you see they're getting burned out, if you hear about personal tragedies that they're going through, which so many people did during the pandemic, you, you need to jump in. Let the employees know that you care instead of just treating them as a, as a worker. So well-being is a huge, huge aspect for employee experience. I think it's one of the most critical ones out there, but it also encompasses a lot. So as I mentioned, we're moving beyond just thinking of a company as a place of work and a company is now becoming an integral part in every aspect of your life. Well, Jacob, we've dished out a lot today. We've addressed the ways of the past uh, may not work in today's new ways of working, right? At least not alone. Today's workforce is looking and expecting for more support from their employer. Uh, Jacob, you shared your tips to adapt uh, organizational agility. Listeners out there, think about how this might be applied to your organization and play out for you. We shared five critical drivers for the employee experience. As benefit decision makers or leaders, think about where you can make the most impact today and plan for how you want to tackle at least one hurdle in the future. Even small efforts can have a big impact. Any final comments from you? And, and then also, please let us know where our listeners can learn more about your research and, and find more of you. Oh, sure. Well, actually, to your point, I think that's the best piece of advice to, to wrap everything up is that if you can improve by 1% a day, then by the end of the year, you're going to be 37 times better. So look around you. And you know, I, I like to encourage leaders, what can you do to improve by 1% a day right after you're done listening to this podcast? Whether it's learning about something new and taking five, 10 minutes listening to a podcast, whether it's going up to one of your employees and saying, thank you, right? Small things that you can do each day to improve and identify the areas that you're trying to improve on and take those steps, right? I mean, transformation and change doesn't need to be this big, scary thing. It could be a gradual thing that you do over time. And then one day you wake up and you're like, wow, I'm a totally different person. I'm a totally different leader. So I think that's uh, a lot of great advice kind of building on your point there. Small changes can make a big impact. As far as where people can find me, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, my email is jacob at thefutureorganization.com. My website is obviously thefutureorganization.com. And pretty much anything people want or need, they can get there. Well, fantastic. And Jacob, I will be calling you for that therapy session as well. And for the folks out there to see additional insights from MetLife and from our 20th annual benefit trend study, please visit us at, at metlife.com forward slash benefit trends. Well, that'll about do it for us today. I want to say thank you so much to Jacob Morgan for joining us today to talk about the many benefits that an adaptive, dynamic workplace environment has for both the employer and employee. So thank you, Jacob. So make sure you subscribe to Putting Numbers to Work from MetLife. And if you're enjoying the show, 
which I hope you are, leave us a review and tell us what you like. We'd love to hear from you. Again, I'm Marcus Smallwood, and this has been Putting Numbers to Work, presented by MetLife.